0: Welcome to Calvary. My name is Dade and I serve on the tech team. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. It's a great first step to joining our church family, but it's also about daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God and find a small group that you can really connect with. We'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. I'm so glad you're here. It's a difficult path, this life we've chosen. Never slowing down, never giving up, breaking barriers, pushing limits. Because pain is temporary, but victory is eternal. Passing what lies behind, pressing on, fighting for what lies ahead, a new path, a new life. Good morning. Well, this is our third and final message of a mini-series from the book of Philippians that we've entitled The Amazing Race. We have looked at both the pursuit of experientially knowing Christ in his power and in his suffering. Then Pastor Doug looked at last week the pressing in, the the working hard no matter what, in order to gain the prize, which is what we're going to look at here today. What was so worthwhile for Paul that he would give his whole life to gain it? You know, the book of Philippians is probably the most positive, the most encouraging book of all 66 books that make up the Bible. This has been a rich experience of getting to know Paul, the Apostle Paul, his love for these people and what's important on his heart, what's important in how they view this life. You see, his concern is that these believers in this Roman colony of Philippi learn to stand firm in their faith in Jesus Christ despite what some of the people amongst them had been teaching and how some of them had been living. Besides calling some people dogs, he actually did that. We looked at that back in November. Our text here is probably, is some of the most striking in all of Paul's writing. So imagine with me. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter to the group of followers of Jesus that he really cares about. He cares deeply for. He's excited about them. He misses them. He longs to see them again. And he has just finished writing passionately about what motivates him in the kingdom of God. What about this life is so worth pursuing and what he wants to experience when certain people come to his mind? And it's like he's overcome with grief and exasperation. Why? Why? Because he sees that dark forces are already taking their toll on this little church. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Follow along as I read. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there that enables him to bring everything. Uh, sorry, I think I missed something there. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like our glory, his glorious body. Therefore, my dear brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. This is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is alive and active, and I pray that you would help it come alive for us. Holy Spirit, just as we sang, speak your truth to us now. We open our spirit to you and our heart. We tune our ears. Help us to hear you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before Paul gets into what is the actual prize of this amazing race, he has been taking, he's been talking about how we achieve it. And he adds to the teaching that we've been looking at in the last couple weeks and invites us to follow his example of living. Verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. You know, of all the other 11 living apostles, the apostle Paul was the strongest, and he was probably the most thorough theologian among them. His life, his perspective, his attitudes, his values, his own brokenness, how he lived his life, had been so completely transformed by his encounter with Jesus that he often invites people to follow his example as he follows Christ. Christ. Now, at first glance, this may seem a little arrogant. Hey, look at me. I have it all together. And nothing like the, the humility that he had been talking about in a lot of his writing. But imitating a teacher had precedence in Paul's Jewish upbringing, in his heritage. As young Jewish boys learning the scriptures and exploring leadership in, in their religious practices, they would become students of a particular rabbi. And part of their learning was to follow their teacher's example in how they lived out the scriptures. And so Paul simply is applying that principle to these Philippian believers. But notice that the invitation is not self-promoting ego, but a call to imitation that is much broader than Paul himself. Verse 17, join with others in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and take note of those... That would include Timothy and Epaphroditus, that we looked at back in chapter 2, and many others who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Why? Well, precisely because there are those who don't. They walk as enemies of the cross. Verse 18 For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many leave, live as enemies of the cross. He is grieved over this group. That he writes this with tears indicates that these people are not just faceless people out in the world, out in the culture, someplace in their surrounding community. They are people that he knows. They are people that he loves deeply. And from what we can tell, this group of people were either still a part of their church or were in the recent past. So just to be clear, Paul is not talking about some random people out there in the world. He is talking about people who were or were actually a part of their gathering as a body of Christ. And as Paul is speaking in their context in the city of Philippi, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in our context here in Edmonton. To be an enemy of the cross means that we are working directly against that which the cross stands for. Everything that Jesus accomplished through his suffering and his death. The life of an enemy of the cross is the exact opposite. In fact, it opposes, it is opposed to a life in Christ, that Paul is inviting people to follow him in. But notice that he's not upset about what these people are teaching. He's not calling them a heretic. He doesn't point out things that they're believing wrong of, about who Jesus is. He is grieving how they are choosing to live. Notice it there in verse 18. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It means the decisions that they are making gives evidence of where their allegiance truly lies. He is saying our choices matter. Even Jesus, when speaking to people or about people who claim to know God and hear from him, he said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You can identify them by you, their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Drop down to t- verse 20. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Well, what does Paul have to say about these enemies of the cross? Well, this is where Paul uses some of the most striking, the most pithy language of all his writings. It's like he's trying to shock his readers to get their attention. And he starts with the end in mind. Their destiny is destruction, says there in verse 19. This is where they end up. How many of us want that? In contrast to what we looked at last week with Pastor Doug, where Paul says that he, he presses towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is pressing to go God's way. He writes that these people are pressing for something completely different, opposite, in fact. And their trajectory is destruction. Destruction. The great judgment at the end of time will negatively affect their, their destiny forever. What are some of the characteristics or fruit for us to recognize them? Well, he says their God is their stomach. Now, in Greek, this doesn't just refer to the food that they're enjoying, but the cravings, the desires, the sensual delights that our body can lust after. It could be that we turn to food. could be video games or romance novels for comfort instead of the Holy Spirit. Could we, it could be that we believe that money will buy us what we're looking for and so we chase after it as the most important pursuit in our life. Maybe it's travel and pleasure that grab our attention more than serving God and connecting into church community. You know, it could be as well that which controls us. It could be alcohol, pornography, prescription drugs. Maybe it's laziness. Or maybe it's our need to always be in control. Now notice that there's nothing wrong with most of those things in and of themselves. The problem comes when they become God to us, when we focus on those things rather than focusing on Jesus, when we run to them to to calm our fear or our anxiety, to protect us or to provide for us instead of trusting God in these things. Romans 14 verse 17 says this, It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in another place, Paul says, uh, he writes about that all things are lawful for him, but he writes, I will not be dominated by any of them. I think we need to be careful of any pleasure that gets the best of us. Anything that gets in the way of our pursuit to know Christ in his power in the midst of suffering. Their God is their stomach. And then he says their glory is in their shame. The perspective of a person like this that a person like this embraces has become so warped that the very things that they should be, that should be their shame is what they believe actually is their glory, is their significance. Let's take sexual expression, for instance. God's original intent when he created us in in his image, male and female, he created them, was to bring profound blessing into the marriage relationship. There is a lot of freedom to explore and to experiment and to enjoy each other. And there's a lot of blessing that comes when we honor God and we honor our spouse in the process. But when God's boundaries are disregarded, which are there, their boundaries are there for our protection and for our blessing, when we just throw them off, the Bible calls that sexual immorality. And our culture encourages it. It celebrates it. And it holds up those who throw off God's moral limitations and boundaries. And this shouldn't be news to us. This shouldn't surprise us. Hollywood, the, the music industry, politics, media outlets, education, social media will often push us towards that which is shameful in the kingdom of God. But Paul is, what Paul is so sad about here And what he weeps over for these people is that they are in the church and they are portraying themselves to be a part of the church. And they are glorying, they are thinking it's a good thing what is actually to their shame. And any time we think that it's good, it's a good thing to disregard God and his instructions on how to make life work well, we glory in our shame. It could be that we treat people in ways that dishonor God. It could be that we stand for ideals that are opposite of what God has laid out in Scripture. It could be that we make decisions in business or in education or even in the church that merely advance our own agenda and not God's. And when we do these things, we are proud of them. We delight in them. When we do this, we are actually glorying in our shame. The question is, are we recognizing these things? Are we being discerning in what we watch, what we listen to, what we allow to influence us on social media threads and the things that people say in conversations around us? Then the Apostle Paul sums this group of people up by saying that their mind is on earthly things in verse 19 there. Notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't say that they're merely thinking about these things. He says that their mind is set on these things. They have determined in their spirit that these things are most important. They live for the present. Their focus is here and now. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You know, what makes me feel good? what allows me to escape the worthlessness or the emptiness or the pain that i feel inside the things we hold most important in this life they matter living like this comes from a belief that what i call all about grace theology where a person believes that they claim to be a per, they claim to be a christian that live like hell and still expect to go to heaven Paul is saying, that's not true. That's not going to work. God created us with the freedom of that choice, but he wants us to know that if this is what we choose, we will bear the responsibility of that decision. Our end will be destruction. And I just ask you, is that what you want? Holy Spirit, would you convict us where we are pursuing these things, where we are acting as enemies of the cross? So, that's kind of the nasty part. Now Paul concludes all of chapter three on a positive note. And he invites us, to imitate his way of living, not as, Im- not as enemies of the cross, but as citizens of heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Citizenship in heaven. This is the prize. This is why Paul is pursuing an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ in his power in the midst of suffering. This is what he's pressing in to take hold of. This is what was so worthwhile that Paul was willing to give up his entire life for, to invest in. It's what the amazing race is all about. Will we do the same? When we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, giving him the right as the highest authority in our life, coming to him in repentance and receiving his forgiveness of our sins, there are many things that happen within us. We become a child of God, part of God's family. The Holy Spirit actually comes and lives inside of us, giving us power to rise above the challenges that we have and giving us direct access to the throne room of Almighty God, our our Heavenly Father. We can know his voice, we can sense God's presence in our heart. We can respond to him and experience his love. And we become citizens of heaven. And in contrast to those Paul just described as enemies of the cross, he says, our end is in heaven because our citizenship is there. And as opposed to the glory being our shame, our future Is being with God and sharing His glory. Now, becoming a citizen of heaven doesn't negate that we live in this world and are citizens of a particular country. My guess is here we have lots of people who are not only citizens of Canada and perhaps not even a citizen of Canada yet. When I was 21, I became a citizen, a Canadian citizen. And with it came all the rights and the privileges of being a citizen of this country. And Paul is not negating this reality in their lives. Nor is he renouncing their common citizenship in the commonwealth of Rome. But the greater reality is that they are subjects of the now risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore their true commonwealth exists in heaven. You see, citizenship in heaven is both now and not yet. It is not yet because we're not there yet. Even though we've got reservations. We are eternal beings. And once this life is over, we look forward to shedding the pain and suffering, the limitations and death this life entails. And when Jesus returns, as he promises he will... He will establish an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever, where he reigns forever. And we get to reign with him and we get to enjoy his blessings forever as his subjects. But being a citizen of heaven is also now. It's not just something we look forward to. It's something that we're supposed to walk in that we experience today. Just as Philippi was a colony of Rome, whose citizens were to exemplify the life of Rome in in this Grecian province of Macedonia, to these Philippian believers, these Philippian believers were to exemplify the life of a heavenly citizenship to this outpost of Rome. And we are no different. As citizens of the heavenly commonwealth, we are to exemplify, to function here on earth, as a colony of heaven but you might be asking well what does this mean well it means that all the rights and the responsibilities of being god's representatives here in this life are for us they are ours to walk in look at, let's look at some of the responsibilities to forgive when others hurt us when they wrong us when they mistreat us a responsibility to share this opportunity to become a citizen of heaven through Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to our coworkers, to anyone who is within our sphere of influence. We get to share this opportunity with them and join in Jesus in his mission to go and make disciples. We have a responsibility to give our resources, our time, our abilities to serve others in need. We have a responsibility to display the character of God, often in the fruit of the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as we walk with Him. Those are just a few. Let's look at some of the rights or the privileges of being a citizen in heaven. Rather than being hounded or tormented by demonic forces in our homes, in our places of work, or in our dreams... We exercise the authority that we have over them through Jesus Christ so that we're not hounded by them anymore. Rather than catching every sickness that is going around, we have His authority available to us. It's available so that we can live with greater health. Rather than being overcome with worry and anxiety, we have the opportunity to experience His profound peace, even in chaos. These are just a few. This is barely even scratching the surface. We could be here all afternoon talking about these things, what it means, everything that is available to us through Jesus Christ and our citizenship in heaven. This is what it means. This is why the race is so amazing. Now, if you're not a citizen of heaven here today, can you catch a glimpse of, of what you're missing. There is nothing. Nothing like it. You can search the world over. You can explore every religious belief or practice out there. You can pursue every form of self-fulfillment and significance that this world offers. But they cannot, they will not even hold a candle to the glory of being a citizen in heaven. That's right. yeah. Can I invite you? to give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to lay down all of your pursuits, your selfish ambitions in this life to allow Jesus to be your Lord and your leader? Will you consider exchanging the glory of this life, which is really shame in the end, for the glory that's coming, the glory of Jesus Christ? that comes with our citizenship in heaven. You know, on the back of your sermon notes, um, or it's available online just below where you got this video, it it describes there how you can become a citizen of heaven. Will you take time right now to to read through this, including the sample prayer that's there, and then make a decision to follow Jesus? I invite you into the kingdom of God. Viewing our life through the lens of our citizenship in heaven, our true allegiance is key for this is how we stand firm. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Standing firm requires us to keep our eyes on the prize. It's easy for us to be enticed by other things in the world. You know, a couple weeks ago, I shared, uh, I told you about a race that I was in that was quite exhilarating. Uh, Let me tell you about one that I was in that was not so. It was the week of our regional track meet for most of southern Minnesota. And at the top... And the top two in each competition would go on to compete at the state level. I'm running in two races. One is the 1600 meter and the 3200 meter race. I don't have much of a chance in the 1600. I knew some of the guys that were racing there. I couldn't keep up with them. They were really fast. But in the 3200 meter race, I had already raced against these guys in other other races throughout the season. I knew I had a good shot. My coaches knew I had a good shot. The excitement and anticipation begin to grow. And as we're warming up, I suddenly realize the high school band trip that we have been planning all year long lands on the same week as state competitions. I'm suddenly in a conundrum. If I get first or second in this race... How do I choose between the state track meet and this trip to Colorado? I feel sick inside. My stomach is churning and I'm gonna have to say no to someone. Either I'm gonna have to say no to my coaches and they're gonna be really upset because I don't go to state. Or I say no to my band instructor and all my instructor and all my friends because I'm not going with them. In my heart, I think I made my decision. And I suddenly develop aches in my muscles and joints that come out of nowhere, pain in areas I'd never felt before. I go to my coach and complain, whether you know, asking what is going on, and maybe hinting that maybe I shouldn't race. And he, i never response. I remember his response. I'll never forget it. He says, "Sounds like you're just whining, Barry. <laughs> you will be fine." You have raced against these guys before, and you can take them again. I know you can. Well, as we're lining up, waiting for the gun to go off, I feel unbelievably uncomfortable, and I hurt all over, and we haven't even started. And during the first few laps, I'm leading the pack that is just behind the front two runners. Because I'd already made my decision, I'd chosen Colorado over state, They start; those two start to pull ahead of us, and I don't pursue them. You know, the only thing worse than the pain of giving everything you've got in a race is experiencing that same pain without the hope of the prize at the end. My body hurt. I was constantly short of breath. I had pain screaming across my shoulders and down my arms. It was an awful experience. But I made sure that I came in at least third, Ensuring that I would not go to state. Well, what happened to me? I gave up the racing before it started. I didn't really even try. I got distracted. There was another goal. There was another prize that seemed better, that was shinier, that was more fun than the exhilaration of competing at the state level. And so I made the choice to not be one of those top two runners. And I just ask us, is that what's happening to us in our following of Jesus Christ? Has the lure of this world and the things that, are, that seem so enticing, are they grabbing our attention more than the prize of our citizenship in heaven? In what ways are we making choices that deny the cross its power and its power over sin, its power to help us through temptation and the brokenness in some of our relationships? Are we allowing ourselves to dishonor God because there are some things that just seem to have a better payoff right now than honoring God? You know, no matter how loudly culture will scream in our ears, no matter the depth of our despair, the extent of our suffering, or the frustration of our temptation, by following Paul's examples, example here, viewing life through the lens of our citizenship in heaven, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can stand firm in our faith no matter what. Oh God, help us stand firm. Let's pray. God, I know, I know firsthand how luring the things of this world can be. They grab our attention, they can give us immediate gratification, they can help us feel good about ourselves when we're feeling so empty. We're feeling so worthless or defiled or rejected. They can give us an exhilaration. It's temporary, but they can, they can make us feel like, but God, I know these things are fleeting. I know that there is no power apart from your power. There is no love apart from your love. There is no presence apart from your presence that can minister to us, that can, that can help us in our need, that can help us face our pain or whatever challenges is in front of us. There is no one like you. And so I pray that you would help, or that you would remind each one of us today to look to you to keep the long game in mind, remembering that though we live here today and we have to face life in this world, that we look forward to life with you. We look forward to the glory that you will share with us for all eternity because of our citizenship in your country, in your kingdom. And so today, I pray whether it is the first time for some of us, but for all of us that we would give you our heart. We would renew our commitment to keep you the prize of this race that we are in. We love you, and we worship you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to be seated for a minute. Verse 21 says, We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, there is no power that is greater than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, amen? It is the power that raised Him from the dead. And we get to enter into that same power. We get to experience that same power. We get to have that power available and working through us to the people around us. There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing. One day, everything will come under Jesus' control. I just want to be on the right side of that one. he says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body that is the hope we have in Jesus Christ nothing can take that from us that's what we're shooting for that's what we get to enjoy one day but also here because his power is available for us to walk through so today why don't you stand very often we like to uh, we like to hold our hands out as in blessing and we want to receive everything that God has for us. Can I just encourage us today to do it a little bit differently? Let's instead let's us bless God. So maybe take your hands like this and just go like this and hold them up to God. And it's coming from Ephesians chapter three, and the blessing is simply this. And you can you can just speak along as in your heart as I say it out loud. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, together we bless you. And all who want to do that, say amen bless you. Well, if you want prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. We've got a whole team that are just ready to do that. Uh, we've got fellowship hall downstairs. There's like food down there and tables and coffee and go help yourself. We'd love to just connect. And I encourage you before you leave, be sure to talk to somebody that you've never met before. Bless you. Have a great week.